A quick note before we get started. This episode contains some explicit language. I was laying down, and one of my little bros named Rod hit me. He was like, man, Trey, was that Floyd who died? The question didn't register. Trey the Truth was on his living room floor, hanging out with his 23-month-old daughter. He didn't know anything about the video that was circulating. And he's like, Floyd, who'd be around and be with Cal Wayne and them? Trey is a Houston rapper and community activist who's been on the scene for a long time. If you're from the area, you know Trey. George Floyd also grew up in Houston. Trey met him about 10 years ago. They were friends. A few moments after his bro Rod reached out, Trey finally saw it. George Floyd pinned down, a police officer's knee pushing into his neck, and George saying, I can't breathe. I was just stunned. Like, I was kind of lost. It just, I, I, I don't know. Then I called my uh, little homie, Cal Wayne, you know, who used to live with him and always be with him, too. And Wayne was like, yeah, Trey, it's true. And he was crying on the phone, so it was just like, damn. From Spotify, this is The Window. I'm Xavier Jernigan. This show started as first-person snapshots of life during the pandemic. And now we're getting accounts of what it means to be Black in America, as the country is in the midst of historic protests against police violence and systemic racism. This time we're hearing from two longtime activists. In a moment, we'll hear from social justice leader Tamika D. Mallory. But first, let's pick back up with Trey the Truth. He says he and George Floyd would talk a lot about the importance of supporting Houston's Black community. For Trey, this moment is different. In part, because it's personal. I think it sparked rage in a lot of us. One, because we knew him, but it sparked rage anyway just to watch how cocky and smirkish that cop was. That bring a different type of anger. Because at that moment, that officer knew what he was doing. Trey would go on to help organize a march in Houston to honor George Floyd. He says George was the kind of guy who wanted the best for everyone and showed up when it mattered. I know he stood for me at times. I didn't even know he was behind the scenes standing. And I'd be damned if I don't do the same for him. On June 2nd, Around 60,000 people turned out for that march. Everybody really basically was moving to how we were moving. But what I did tell them is, you know, the family respectfully, the family is not a violence. So that's not what they wanted. And at the end of the day, I wanted to make sure I carried out what they wanted. And I wanted to make the impact for, for George that's being watched by the nation to be amazing. This was a crucial moment in history for us, man. And hopefully at the end of it, I could say this was a turning point for us. Tamika D. Mallory was with Trey at that huge march in Houston. She's co-founder of the organization Until Freedom, which works to address systemic racism. Part of her job means going to places where there is raw pain. 
working with victims' families and helping organize rallies, protests, and fundraisers. She was also in Minneapolis calling for justice for George Floyd, and she delivered a speech that went viral. It was an unflinching message to Americans who expressed more outrage over property damage than violence against black people. Black people, America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. So looting is what you do. We learned it from you. We learned violence from you. Before the protests over George Floyd, she had visited Indianapolis. That's where two other black men, Drajon Reed and Mikhail Rose, were killed at the hands of police earlier in May. And Tamika went to Louisville, too where Breonna Taylor was killed by police in March. Tamika has been an activist for the last 25 years, and we wanted to know why this moment feels different to her. When she sat down to share her thoughts with us, she was finally home for a minute. I'm in New York City right now, and when I look around, I see suitcases that haven't been unpacked from being on the road, uh, dealing with injustice for the last two weeks. Um, I see a beautiful teddy bear that my son bought me, my 21-year-old son. He gave it to me for uh, Mother's Day, and I'm just checking it out. It's it's cute. Yeah, it's cute. Um, I see uh, the beauty of my bedroom that I love so much. Um, I pretty much keep a very neat, and clean line space because I feel like with the work that I do every day, I can't have chaos at home and chaos outside in the streets. There's a lot happening that's unlike what we've seen before, especially in our lifetime. Um, And I think in my parents' lifetimes as well, and they're in their 70s, you have COVID-19 happening where people are locked in their homes, which creates a level of anxiety, at least. I won't say depression, but certainly a level of anxiety. 40 million Americans don't have jobs. So people are stressed about economic challenges, economic issues. Then you turn around from there and 100,000 Americans are dead. Then you see Ahmaud Arbery hunted, hunted by people who think they're slave catchers. He was shot. I don't know about you, but that sound of that shotgun, it is just awful. Then you go to Breonna Taylor. People hear a woman was killed in her home by police after they um, executed a no-knock warrant uh, in which the person they were looking for had not been in her home for years, and he was already in custody. So they had him in custody for four hours, and they still went to her home, shot through closed blinds, uh, closed windows, and she was killed for nothing. For nothing. Then you watch George Floyd's life leave his body. And by the way, people were in their homes. They were waiting to hear what's going to happen because they figured, hey, you see it. I see it. It was a murder. You see it. I see it. And when nothing happened or when not enough happened soon enough, people said, we got to hit the streets. 
And because of all these things coming together, it's like a colossal. And the pandemics, not one, but all the pandemics that we face in our communities showed up at one time. And now people have decided that they're tired of asking, begging, meeting, hearings, all of that stuff. And they're demanding that there be respect for Black life and that we have the same rights that every other American citizen has and not just have the rights, but that someone actually enforces it. I have no choice but to fight because my life and my son's life literally depends on it. He's been with me in this movement work for a long time. So my son is like, he knows the work. I saw, he, he did a video like, oh, you know, if you can't give a dollar to an organization or you can't post something or speak up about these issues, then you're not my friend and I don't want to have anything to do with you. And I was like, don't lose your friends over this. It's so unfair that our young people have to take that type of position because they know it's life or death. And he, and so that's kind of like, you know, what he's coming into, but don't get it twisted. He's still popping and dropping it in his life like ain't nothing happening because these younger people do not have the same fear. They don't feel the same about race relations. They have a different experience. And especially if you're a privileged child the way he is, you've had access to things that the average person has not. And therefore, you don't see the world the same way that we did growing up in the projects. My son has never grown up in the projects. So the conversations that I have with him all the time are conversations that say, hey man, you know, just because you're privileged and you kind of move about life thinking you the hottest thing that ever's happened, like you the hottest shit until officer so-and-so rolls up on you and then you got to know how to navigate and how to handle that and the point for me to him is I need you to get home so I really don't need you to be a martyr I don't need you to be a tough guy I don't even need you to worry about your rights I'll deal with that later but just do what you have to do to be able to get home and that's hurtful for me because I'm supposed to be this big bad activist and you know I'm a leader out here and I talk big stuff and I am prepared to give my life for what I believe in. But when it comes to that boy, my son, I'm telling him, yo, yes, sir, no, sir, let me get home to my mother. And then we'll turn this shit out after that. Tamika D. Mallory from her home in New York City. On the next episode of The Window, we hear from visual storyteller and stay-at-home dad, Glenn Belief Henry, on the difficult conversations he's having with his young sons. It is a loss of innocence. It's the same one I experienced. It's just a look and a feeling. You can feel it's almost like a spiritual, it's a spiritual ushering out of joy. What are the tough conversations you're having with your family and friends right now? Hit us up at The Window at Spotify.com. The Window was a production of Gimlet Projects for Spotify. I'm Xavier Jernigan. Stay safe. See you next week. Peace. Peace.